Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Evan Green. He's Brett Barry. And Brett, listeners, we're going to talk a lot of football on this show this week. We're going to talk to Justin McAleese from McAleese Sports. He has his algorithms. We talked to him last year before the season, and I think he was a little bit higher on Arizona than a lot of people were. And it turns out he wasn't – his numbers were fairly reasonable. Arizona – I think the – I forget the over-under. I think it was like two and a half last season. And Arizona ended up winning five games. So we're going to talk to him again to get his take on Arizona going into this season. Like that's gonna be fun, Brett. I think because he's he's fun. Yeah, and I I love it when somebody uses numbers to tell me that uh you know why Arizona football is better than the the narrative uh that people think is a thing. Cause yes, yes, I want to be. It's optimistic time of the year, right? And then after we talk to him, we're also gonna get into our depth charts. We you wanna do offense or defense today this week, Brett? What do you think? Uh, let's so just we're talk about it all eventually. Yeah, let's start with offense because that should be easy and fun. Okay, it'll be a real fun show. So a lot of football coming your way. But first, we'd be remiss. And again, lots of football coming. We know what season it is. Arizona men's basketball is going through the Middle East on a somewhat historic exhibition tour. And, you know, I think we talked about it last week. There's not a lot. You don't take they're winning these games by 40, 50. You're not like, oh, wow, they're going to be great. Like, I think they're going to be really good this season. But it is kind of nice to see them get that first little bit of playing time in a in a live game situation with so many new players, right? Like, Phillip has been playing a lot, has looked good. Caleb Love has looked fine. Uh, Krivas has looked good. <laughs> like, granted, they're, they're playing teams that they are significantly better than. But it's still kind of nice to see them play basketball. Yeah, I think, you, I think you highlighted the more important thing is that you're getting to see some of these guys that are still relatively unknown, i.e. all of the Euro guys, even the ones that were on the roster last year, uh, you know, Playing, I think I think Henry Basar has been out uh, for the last couple of games. I think KJ Lewis has been out. I forget what the. I think they had some. Lewis played the most or, recent game. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. I know he missed the first one, and then I think uh, was he? I think he was sick, and maybe Henry Basar had some kind of injury or something. I think it was the other way um, around. I think Basar was now, sick and Lewis had injury, but close. Well, what am I supposed to do? Prep for this show, Adam? It's <laughs> the first time for everything. <laughs> <laughs> You think I've had all sorts of time on my hands to like pay attention to something and no basic well, facts? The, the most recent game, I was at like two in the morning Arizona time, and I remember thinking, "I'm like, wow, if this was when I was on parental leave, I would have been up then. I could have watched it, but no, not anymore." Yeah, and well, sidebar, I think the the I think it's the last one is we're recording on Thursday. The uh, it's Friday at six a.m. Arizona time. I'm usually. Uh, been awake for a while for that so i might try to figure it out 
But yeah, um, the most recent game against the UAE, that was that happened, I guess, technically Thursday morning, Arizona time. But for example, like Caleb Love, I'm looking at the box score here. There's a pretty neat box. He had 11 points, 4 of 10 shooting, a couple of, you know, one assist, a couple of rebounds. Kyle Boswell didn't shoot the ball well, only 7 points. But like KJ Lewis had 15 points. You know, Krivas had 17. Phillip had 17. Pella Larson, 12. Umar Balo, 10. Like Maruskas, 12. Like, again, it's, the stats probably don't matter that much other than, like, how ready are some of these guys? You're talking about some of the European guys that we haven't seen play at all. How ready are they to play in this system? How ready are they to play? You know, this isn't high-level college basketball, but they look like they're ready to contribute at least a little bit maybe this season. Well, and, and in uh, Philip, as you call him, or Philly B, as I like to call him, uh, you know, we did the most we've seen him play was uh, I forget what the international competition was a few weeks back, and he was putting up some numbers there too, yeah. right? So it's like, all right, it, maybe this isn't like a complete fluke, but also, you know, adjust for competition and know that like, you know, it, he's probably not averaging 17 points a game, but if he become, you know, I think he came to Arizona as a high upside developmental type guy. And if he's starting to show some of that promise and it's translating, you, you feel really good about that. Cause he's like a big wing. I think he's like six, nine, right. Who can shoot um, the three and like yeah. mismatch offensively. Yeah. You know, it's, and so it's, it, there's, there, I mean, if, it, it, there's, there, it's kind of a no-win situation because if you don't blow these teams out, you're like, oh, what's what's going on? But it, like, it it is, it is bonding. It is real game experience. They're probably tired of playing against each other. Um, you know, you're getting to see, you know, some of the guys get more minutes maybe than they even will in the regular season. And at least initially, you know, based on the stats, uh, I did not watch at 3 a.m. or whatever it was. Uh, but you know, it it seems like there's at least some evidence that our optimistic take for the roster and the depth are well-founded. Yeah. Now we'll see how it goes. Uh, once, you know, once camp starts in the fall, uh, and they start playing games that actually matter. Uh, but yeah, so far so good. Yeah. It's important to remember, this is like a step down even from the early non-conference when they're playing some school from some conference that you never heard of, you know, some directional school that they're going to win by 35 40 like you don't take a lot from those games either right this is probably even a step below that in terms of what you can glean from it but at the same time like we were saying it is nice to see arizona basketball on the floor it's nice to see some of these guys get that run against an opponent who is you know trying to beat them <laughs> like it's not like they're going out there saying oh it's arizona we're gonna let you I mean, this isn't the dream team in 92 you know like they're out there competing they're trying to beat a team i saw like the uaa team i read like they were almost put together like within the previous two days some of these players that showed up they're like oh i don't know what we're doing but, you know, to see Arizona with so many new players just get opportunities to play basketball against someone else, I think, is super important. And it should give them at least, you know, I don't want to say a leg up going into the regular season when the game starts to count. But it should give them some of that familiarity that you worry that they would have to, you know, gain when the games do count. Maybe they can start to work on that now. And I think you said, Brett, last week, too, like just being in this trip together should kind of help build that camaraderie, that synergy that you look for. Again, with so many new faces, you hope it could get there. This should only expedite that process. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's a small thing, but I think it's a significant thing also of like all they're doing is traveling on this and in weird time zones. And, you know, and it's preparing I, I, them for the Big 12, right? That's what you're saying? Well, I'm saying, you know, I don't I don't know if you've ever played high level competitive basketball where you've had you to know the answer to that. You know, the um, answer. Most definitely. No, but, I did not. <laughs> yes, I, I know. I, I mean, I I kind of have in old AAU times back in my 
high school days. Uh, but even then, it's like it's a different thing to like not you know get out of your comfort zone, not be sleeping in your bed, traveling in a gym that you're not familiar with, where there's maybe a different you know backdrop background and distance between whatever behind the backboard, and that can throw people off. Mm-hmm. And you know, those are all small things, but I think they're significant things, right? And so like that's a good experience also for some of these guys that have you know especially you know kj lewis maybe hasn't done that or certainly not with the time zone difference that they're having on this travel right like there's a difference between like oh i went from tucson to la right Right. um so i you know it's it's there's a lot of i think small subtle things that are to be gained and gleaned from these these exhibition games um but you know also i don't think we should Oh, put too much stock into anything that we see in them. If no, that makes no. sense. Well, yeah, to kind of like you know further that point of hammer at home. I'm looking at the box score from the most recent game. Arizona was seven of eleven from the free throw line. They took eleven free throws in this game. UAE select thirty two of thirty seven from the free throw line. <laughs> I didn't watch the game. I don't know if the officials were doing a good job or not. You know, it's very possible Arizona was getting dunk after dunk after dunk, layup after layup after layup, and just hacking away on the other side. But, the, hell, the, hell, the hell are Pac-12 refs doing in UAE, man? <laughs> but if, if you can win a game by 37 points when you're, like, out free-throwed by that kind of margin. <laughs> I mean, that, that I, I immediately also interpret that as maybe Arizona was being lazy on defense, and that's where you get a lot of cheap fouls from, like, not moving effectively. But Perhaps. I, but, yeah, that just underscores that point where, you know, it is absolutely, it's like preseason football. You know, where it's like after, it doesn't matter at all other than you're just trying to get some reps. Like preseason football, at least they're trying to maybe fight for roster spots. We know who Arizona's going to have this season. We know who's on the roster. But it's just a chance to play some basketball against someone else, run some of your offense, and try to get a feel for each other, which, again, with so many new faces, with so many new players who are expected to play key roles, is important. That you hope that maybe that you know four, five, six games they need in non-conference play to get there, maybe that's shortened down to like two games, three games, because they have this experience, this trip, these games together. So, Brett, I think that's enough to talk about fake basketball, right? Are we good? We can, we can transition yeah. to a sport that is almost here. Let's take a break, and we come back. We're going to talk to Justin McAleese from McAleese Sports and go over what his predictions are for Arizona football this season by the numbers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0, and we are joined by Justin McAleese, McAleese Sports. We had him on last season to help preview Arizona football. I think I remember, Justin, last year, like your uh, your system had Arizona Merkley to go undefeated than winless, <laughs> which was pretty cool. Um, they did finish 5-7, and seven, so somewhere in between, I think it was about where you had them probably. But I guess first, welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Oh, great to be back. Thanks for having me back on, guys. Yeah, yeah, of course, because obviously when we're thinking of, okay, previewing Arizona football season, there's a lot of optimism for Arizona this season, especially after winning five games last year. They bring a lot of players back, especially offensively. The defense has a huge makeover in terms of bringing in transfer portal. And reading through your guide, the College Football Atlas for 2023, you have Arizona being decent. 
I think you have them as the 42nd best team in the country, which, hey, top 50 isn't bad for a program that was kind of, you know, bottom 10 just a couple of years ago. But Not too long ago, I guess, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Your early impressions, just like what your what your system here has for Arizona. Yeah. Well, you're right. So the, the I project them out in six and six. That, that's the short answer. But there's a much longer answer behind that. And, it's you know, the funny thing is, but you, you mentioned the number 42 power rating in the preseason a year ago, I actually projected them to be number 42 in power rating as well. So there's, there's been kind of a consistency, but the, the reasons are completely different. I mean, there's some similarity, but there two years ago, of course, you already alluded to it. They're really at the bottom of the PAC 12 bottom, bottom nationally, you know, one of the not, not so good teams nationally. And, and, and I had this and looking at the roster and the transfers they were bringing in last year, I thought they really had a chance to make a big jump and they did. They, they didn't get, quite as many wins as I thought they could get, you know, maybe thanks to that Cal game, which was a bit inexplicable a year ago. But but yes. besides that, um, they actually got pretty close in terms of power rating. They were a little bit below that 42, but they were number 56. That's not too far behind. And and this year I look at them and I, as, as you as you mentioned, I just love the offensive experience coming back. Last year it was kind of a like kind of a hope and a prayer that you're relying on these transfers to make an immediate impact and guys like Jaden Delora and cowing at wide receiver. And they did. And this year you can count on them. You, you know what you're getting from those guys. Now the question shifts to the defense. We, we knew the defense was going to be an issue last year. The question is, can it hold up its end of the bargain a little better this year with those transfers coming in, especially in the front seven along the defensive line in particular, um, if those guys can make a big impact you could end up on the right side of six. If, if they come in and have those transfer growing pains or don't fit into the system right away, you end up on the wrong side of six. And I think if you look across the schedule, while six and six sounds right in the middle, might not be the most exciting projection to Arizona fans. I, I was looking at this just before I came on with you guys and all of the, the game by game win probabilities are, there's a whole lot of them close to 50% because this is such a balanced parity conference where there's a, there's a wide range of outcomes. They could go anywhere from three or four wins all the way up to nine or 10 wins. I can tell you really quick before Brett gets a question. I think Arizona fans would be ecstatic with six and six. Like they would take that. So <laughs> let's not besmirch, you know, 500 in a bowl game. No, well, that's yeah. And I, I, I wasn't sure what the expectations were out West, you know, but for me looking at them, I was actually a little disappointed. I thought they could win about seven games last year, but I was really on the high end of the totem pole in terms nationally of what I thought they could achieve. And this year I came back a little bit, but I still think they can break through if they have a few things go their way, they stay healthy, develop a little bit of wide receiver depth. They've got a pretty good top three with the you had Lamonius Craig from Colorado. I'm not sure about some of the younger guys coming up. I know there's been good recruiting, but some of those guys are going to have to break through and help out that receiving game as well. Yeah. First off, I'd like to point out that once again, you project Arizona at a higher percentage to go undefeated in Rose Bowl, which I will take as an Arizona fan than going winless. <laughs> uh, 1% versus 0%. I think yep. I think the three percent chance of eleven and one probably gets us in the Rose Bowl on our way out the door as well. That'd be a that'd be a proper send off. Um, you know, I think you kind of you kind of talk about this a little bit, uh, and I was gonna you kind of led into one of the questions I was gonna ask. So it feels like this Arizona team is improved from last year. There's stability on the offensive side, and maybe it's the hope is that the defense makes, you know, a similar jump. If it's probably not feasible to jump as much as the offense did in one year. Um, but when you look at the 
the Pac-12 and, and the Wildcats schedule, you know, it's it's not the worst schedule in terms of talent uh, or the, the opposing teams, but like the Pac-12 itself has just gotten better. And there's not the benefit of, you know, an in-state rival that has eight home games. U of A has six, right? Is that probably where the, the numbers is the biggest driver of why the numbers are maybe a little lower than you would expect, even with the team trending in the right direction? Yeah, you know, there's a couple <clears throat> couple of things to answer about that question. Right now, I, I look at the Pac-12, and you're right. There is a, I think going into this year, there's a lot of experience in the Pac-12. It's one thing that really jumped out at me reviewing the conference again before talking to you guys is when I, something I told you about a year ago is replacement value ratios. It's big with me, and I, and I included it in the in the preview this year so people could see what I'm talking about more clearly. And every one of the Pac-12 outside of maybe Stanford has good numbers there. So I mean. Everyone has some good quality experience coming back. A lot of teams are bringing in quite a few transfers. So there's just a lot of balance in this league. But in terms of breaking it out into kind of a simple way of looking at it, I think of it as sort of a, a top tier, a mid tier, to bottom tier. And the top tier are the four that I think are college football playoff contenders, and that's who you would expect. That's Oregon, Utah, USC, and Washington. Um, a team like Washington – they, they outperformed what I expected a year ago, but now clearly, you know, they're, they're in that picture. And then you have that middle tier, which is Arizona is solidly in. And I think it's really, really balanced. And I, I include UCLA in there, Washington State, Oregon State, and then, of course, Arizona. And then the final four teams on, on, the, on the bottom tier. Um, and so all of those, those teams in the middle, you know, college football is very highly unpredictable in some ways. Like there, there's a wide dispersion of p- potential wins and loss records that every team can have. And so if you're in that middle record, you could easily move up into the top group. You can also easily move down into the bottom group. I, I don't think it's as easy for a team way up at the top to slide down two tiers or vice versa. But in that middle tier, there's a lot of mobility. And so when you look at Arizona and the balance of their schedule, all these teams, whether it's like, 37%, 65, 41, 49, 50. You can go down the, these are the win probabilities that I have for these games. You know, these are coin flip games in the preseason, a lot of them. And so it just takes a few breaks. You get turnovers to, you have good turnover luck this season, that nets you a game. You have good special team results, that nets you maybe another half a game. These are the small things that could lead to a big thing, to a big difference in where you end up. And of course, injuries are, are, always, are always critical. When I, I, I'm looking at the I, the atlas right now, and you know you have, I, I think that aligns with what everybody's expectation is in the pack, right? Like that that five through eight, it could go, you know, toss them in the air and see how they land, right? And it's it's interesting because there's there's interesting nuances in the numbers here, like UCLA, you have as at the high end of the top tier, number five, with I think a 12% chance to win. But in that matchup against Arizona, it is literally a 50-50 toss-up, yeah. right? Um, yep. and, and that's there's a stretch there where it's, you know, there's, I guess, there's a stretch there with Washington State and Oregon State. And it seems like the numbers are bearing out, um, you know, where the pivot point games on where the season could be and where those little breaks are. Uh, you know, I'd love to get your kind of outsider's perspective of just looking at the, I mean, the numbers tell me where the 50-50 things are, but is there any any sense of what you think are the, the key games here? Like, I, I'm guessing it's not going to be a surprise to Adam or I or our listeners, but what do you see as, a, as an outsider's perspective? Yeah, you know, I'll give you one that you won't expect. How about that? Because the, the you've already hit on some of the key ones in that middle tier. Those are going to be the most important. <clears throat> but, you know, some of the stuff that from my like prognosticator perspective that I'm always looking at are some of the early season games that are really interesting barometers of which way a team might be trending 
above or below expectations. And so I actually think at Mississippi State is a really interesting game. Um, so obviously it doesn't affect the Pac-12, but if you go in there, I have that as a 37% chance for what I would see as an upset for Arizona to win that game. Um, but 37% is not, is not too far-fetched. And I only have that spread as about four or five points. So there, I think if you look, if, if you, if Delora, Cowing and company go in there, pull off an upset against sort of a rebuilding Mississippi state team, giving everything that's happening. But if they can pick, pick off that win, all of a sudden, you start to look at the other games down the schedule and think maybe those some of those numbers go up a little bit. Um, one thing that's true about like college football win probabilities is that they're not independent. Uh, a lot of people kind of treat them like they are, but they're not. They're conditional. And so what happens early in the season affects those ones later down the road. So, of course, you take care of Nor- Northern Arizona as expected, but then you go in, you get a win on the road in Starkville. All of a sudden, you're not looking at six and six is the most likely record anymore. You're looking at seven or eight wins is the most likely record. So you could think of that winning that game as being worth one or two wins on its own in terms of expectation. That's yeah. I think that's, you know, what Brent and I've talked about when we get into our schedule kind of preview, that's where it's going to go to, because that is such an interesting game that they're not going to be expected to win, but you know, if they do, or even if they just play well, you'll feel better about some of those other 50, 50 games. I'm wondering here, I pulled up last year's uh, Atlas, too. You know, there it is, Arizona number 42. Yeah. And I'm curious, Jed Fish, how his ranking has changed in terms of what the computer sees with him. Because obviously, he, you know, his first season, Arizona's offense was abysmal. Yeah. Makes a huge changes, gets a quarterback, gets some receivers. All of a sudden, the offense is one of the most explosive in the country. And now just where he ranks in terms of like an offensive play caller and as a head coach, how he's grown as scoring to the stats. Like, what is where does Jed Fish kind of rank? Or it seems like he's trending in the right direction as well. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. So if, if you look back, um, prior to last season, I would have had him as a slightly negative bar in terms of how he affects win probability and what I call standardized wins. And standardized wins is a concept that I do, which is essentially putting all the coaches on an on even footing by, um, you know, equating talent, like how, how well do coaches develop talent based on like a recruiting baseline. Uh, so how much do they affect the win probabilities and, and wins over the course of a year? against an average schedule. That's the kind of idea with standardized wins. And right now, Fish is now up to a zero offensively. So that might not sound great. That means average. Um, And so, but if you think that the trend continues, and I don't have any reason to think that it won't, given what Arizona returns this year, I think you'll see that number go up into, I don't know how much it jumps, 0.3, 0.4, 0.5. It just depends on, on how explosive that offense can be this season and how much it, you know, how, how critical and how well it plays in the critical situations in those really pivotal games. I think that's going to tell us a lot about where Jet Fish ends up in terms of ratings. Yeah. Is there anything when the numbers, because I know like you have a system, it's not like you going in there and individually putting things where they are. Like you have, it's the math, right? It's the stats, yeah. it's the numbers, and it comes out. Is there anything with regards to Arizona from what you have seen and maybe learn from us maybe, or but kind of that jumped out at you is like kind of surprising because obviously like you've talked to Brent, I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. You know, six and six, seven and five, most likely. Sure. That's about what we think. And same thing with which games on the schedule are the most likely to be toss-ups or which ones are most likely to be wins. I love that NAU is a 97% win because we can't ever call that hundred percent anymore. Oh. But oh. is there anything from your perspective that's kind of like, oh, I kind of didn't expect that based on your knowledge base of the Arizona Wildcats. Yeah. You know, one that really jumps out at me is, so I have these, um, ratings that are based on sort of coaching systems and how much a coaching system relies on certain aspects 
of their offense or defense or special teams. And it's particularly interesting on offense, I think. And what really jumped out at me because of how good of a passing team Arizona was a year ago and how often they threw it a year ago was that they have very high dependency ratings on the run game. Um, and so that what that tells me is that even though they, they, they threw it a lot last year, I think that goes beyond just you know, that being a, a tendency, I think that was also the situations they were in that led to some of that as well, playing in some shootouts with a not so good defense. So but that tells me that this offensive staff and, the, and those percentiles and those, the, those offensive system ratings are based on the entire staff's history. So not just last year. And so if you look at their whole history combined, they look like a staff that wants to run the football more than they were able to do a year ago. Now they were pretty effective running a year ago, but I think they'd like to run it more. And that's one thing that really jumped out at me. And I think they have that potential. I mean, they want to lean on their run blocking up front. I believe, I think that run blocking unit's going to be better. I think their pass protection is going to be very good. And so I, I, I believe that the offensive line is going to be much improved and they're really going to lean on those guys more this year based on statistically how I analyze these teams and staffs. It's interesting. I was going to say, if it said that they're like running the ball, that your systems heavily depend on the ASU game, where Arizona hardly threw the ball at all in the second half of that one. But now I think Brett probably agrees with that too. Like Arizona wants to, you always want to run the ball, right? Use yeah. the run to set up the pass, but Arizona certainly has that balanced offense with their receivers, with a quarterback who likes to sling it. But then you have the Michael Wiley, you have you know Jonah Coleman, you have DJ Williams, you have Speedy Luke, you have plenty of running backs. Like Just the skill position talent on this team seems pretty incredible. Yeah, it does. And in offensively, it's, it certainly jumps out. And I, and I put some, what I kind of do for fun, I put some star ratings on there. Now, these aren't recruiting star ratings because that, that would probably confuse people because there's a lot of one and two stars on there that would throw people off. But these are actually go back to that replacement value concept that I talked about before. And replacement value is, you know, how much, how many wins essentially is a player worth versus a baseline replacement level recruit? You know, someone who is just a sort of baseline player that isn't going to generate you much upward wind mobility. And Arizona has a whole lot of stars here. You know what I mean? From Jaden Delora, and you look down the running back room, Michael Wiley's listed four star here. I partially because I think he's such a good receiving back. I think he's an all all around player. Um, but interestingly, and something I've been doing new this year is spending more time analyzing offensive line data, which is something I haven't been able to do in as much detail in the past. And there are, I think there are four different players on that list that are two or three star players on the, on the offensive line for Arizona. And I, I, I think that will be music to some Wildcat fans ears. Cause if, if they get that unit really going, um, this offense has a ton of potential to put up a lot of points. Um, I'd, I'd like to see them not have to be in as many shootouts. And that's where I think going back to that running game, of course, as you said, you want, everyone wants to establish a run short enough games. That defense doesn't need to be overexposed. I don't think, but Certainly a lot of star power on offense. Defensively, you know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier and a little bit of almost like last year, but not not quite as much in terms of proven quality last year. I mean, like Delora and Cowing were like proven quantities, at least in my opinion, statistically. Um, here, when you look at guys like Taylor Upshaw or Bill Morton or whoever you have coming in on, on, on the defensive line, there's a bunch of guys here, a linebacker too. There's a lot of potential, but not a lot of proven experience there. And I always look for that quality production. That, that's what feeds into that replacement value concept. Before that, it's just a projection. And the projections are interesting. And they're what I use to make unit ratings and all those things. But that always having that, that on the ground, on the field, between the white lines experience is critical. 
Well, that that kind of leads to where I was, you know, looking at this and trying to remember what we talked about last year with with projecting some of these guys. You know, Arizona has had some pretty good success recently um, with guys maybe even surprising you and being productive. You know, I doubt the model knew what Tanner McLaughlin was going to be, right? (laughs) Uh, But now he's one of those guys that has a star on here. Or even on the offensive line, the four guys that have stars on your in your thing does not include you know, Raven Polito, who looks like he's going to start and as a four-star yeah. recruit. Um, yeah. How does your model kind of look at, you know, the probability of and of, of those guys, those surprises maybe coming, and how do you value and stack the depth on top of it, especially on things like the line? Because, you know, most programs can have a starting five offensive line, but if one of their tackles goes down, it can bring down the whole thing, right? So how, how does the model value that depth? Yeah, so it's a fairly complex way that I do it nowadays. And the quick backstory of that is, you know, the old way of doing things, which a lot of people kind of still do is that you look like you look at returning production levels, like what percent of your receiving yards are coming back or percent of rushing yards or, or starts on the offensive line. But that doesn't really work as more. I mean, work as much anymore in the transfer portal era. So you really need to understand like what, what is the potential of these guys? And so what I do is I start with, looking at baseline recruiting levels, not at the individual level, but at the team level, because I don't, because there's so much variability at the individual level that it's hard to project out one particular player's career. But if you look at the, the overall composite of their recruiting, you can get a starting point. Then you match it with their coaching staff and you see how well the coaching staff typically develops recruits or players at those particular positions. So some staffs like, well, let's take Arizona, for example, you feel you probably feel pretty good about the offensive development. And you might have questions about the defensive development. And that would be that would be fair. Um, right now, the, the defensive coaches tend to have more of the orange or red color, which is the negative right now. So they have some work to do to turn that around. So I'll start with their basic recruiting level. I'll make an adjustment based on the coaching staff. And then that's what I call a, a prior, a prior distribution. And then after that, essentially what we'll do is compare that to what the players have actually done in their career. So that prior is just to set the initial expectation. And then we, then I, what I do is I go in and actually measure what they've done in terms of productivity over the course of their career, accounting for all kinds of things, how they affect win probability, what's the, what's the talent level and strength of schedule of their opponents, all of those things factor into, into that level. And the more experience they have, the more weight I put on their production, the less weight I put on those sort of initial projections based on recruiting plus coaching. No, I, I think that makes sense, but I'm not the math mathematician here. Um, but kind of as a follow-up to that, uh, one of the sections you have is uh, there's a score that shows trending year over year of program foundation. Is, is some of that what goes into those numbers? Because uh, I see like Arizona was down at 27% in 2021, rising to, uh, rising to 45% last year, now up to 58% this year. You know, it's sub-question, is that one of the biggest increases you've seen in the last couple of years uh, of all the FBS schools? Yeah, that, that, that is one of the biggest. I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what the biggest improvements are, say, over two years. But that's certainly among the biggest increases. And what goes into that program foundation is primarily three things. There is a four-year recruiting composite. And, and when I do things a little bit differently with recruiting composites, I, I put more weight on older classes rather than newer classes um, or rather than taking like a straight average because the older upperclassmen tend to play more and tend to have a bigger impact on what's going on. So even if... I know Arizona's had some pretty exciting recruiting results. 
and that will factor in, but I'll put more weight on the older ones until those, you know, until some of those older guys start to graduate. That's one thing. Um, last year's results, last year's power rating is a really, really big part of that. So how good were they a year ago? That feeds in along with the recruiting level. And also there's this third aspect that kind of ties in with what I was just talking about. And it's, 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 it's a little bit esoteric, but to describe it as simply as I can, it's, you know, fitting the current roster to the current coaching staff and what they like to do and what, what they rely on to win and lose games and what your current roster is good at and bad at in terms of at the various units and positions, matching those together and seeing how that all fits. That's all part of the program foundation too. So the foundation also does include sort of that current roster component and how well it fits in with what the current coaching staff wants to do. So we're here with Justin McAleese here joining us on Wildcat Radio 2.0. Of course, he has his college football atlas 2023 version one is out right now. Um, before we let you go really quick, how does conference realignment, how's that going to affect your numbers here? Because obviously like Arizona is going to be among many teams. They're not going to be in the Pac-12 anymore as of next season. Is that going to kind of throw a wrench into things when they have an entirely different schedule slate of opponents than what they've had before? No, that doesn't really affect me too much. The, the transfers are much, much more complicated to deal with because especially when you have guys jumping levels from FCS to FBS or even Division II, um, that, that's, a, that's a bigger challenge. With, with all the realignment, it's, it's less of an issue because all the same principles of projecting a power rating and matching teams up and fitting schedule prob- game, game win or loss probabilities, that all stays the same. All, all that's different is, you know, you're, you have a different set of teams on the schedule, but it's no different than... You know, this year you're playing at Mississippi State, for instance. Next year you're going to have more of those. You're going to have teams in Kansas and Iowa State and, and games like that. And from there, we just I just do the same kind of process that I usually do. I say that. What do you think of Arizona in the Big 12? Yeah, because like, it's a whole different set of opponents, yeah. I, I think it's a good move. I, I think Arizona's going to fit in. Well, I mean, if, if I look at it for right now, I think they'd fit into sort of the middle, upper middle of the Big 12. I actually think they could contend in the Big 12 this year um, because I think if you look at the Big 12, some of the top teams, I mean, a team like Texas is the favorite. They're my favorite too, but I think their Jerry's still out on the quarterback position there. Uh, some people are high in a guy like Quinn Ewers. I'm a little bit less high in him. Um, so I think you know, even Oklahoma is my number two team, and some people might question that on, on whether you would really have Oklahoma that high. Uh, and then there's TCU, Kansas State. There's a, a lot of these teams are either – you know, transitioning at quarterback or have a lot of roster turnover or, or in Oklahoma's case, weren't that great a year ago. So I think if you look at that, Arizona would fit in pretty well with them. Granted, Oklahoma and Texas are leaving. So I think even more reason to think that they're going to probably slide in towards the top. I think Arizona fans would like to hear that. <laughs> you know, that's not only are they going to be a good fit, but they might be near the top of the Big 12. Well, Justin McAleese, McAleese Sports, you can find him on X. That's so weird to say. Yeah, uh, yeah. At McAleese Sports, obviously, College Football Atlas 1.0. Is there anything you want our listeners to know about, you know, the Atlas or what should what should they know? What let 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 you sell, you know, what you got going on here? Yeah. Yeah. Just visit me at McAleeSports.com on my website or Twitter. Um, and, and what I what I'm proud of with the College Football Atlas and what I think is different about it is that. It's really a numbers-based preview. I think it has the most, the most information about, say, win probabilities, odds, over-unders, all these kinds of things, and a lot of interesting analytics that most previews don't, 
don't really do. So I think mine kind of differentiates itself in that way. So hopefully people will check it out. There's a free preview on my website. So if you're if you're unsure, go check it out. You can see the four free pages for Texas that I was the team I was just talking about a minute ago and see see what you think. Love it. Well, Justin Mackley, we appreciate the time. You know, I guess we'll see maybe later down the season how the numbers are looking. But of course, if not sooner, we'll talk to you ahead of next year's Wildcat season when they're preparing for the Big 12. So thanks for your yeah, time. Just, yeah, just let me know. I'll be happy to come back on. Thanks, guys. All right. That's Justin Mackley. And we come back. Got to talk more football. We're back, and thanks again to Justin McAleese for that insight because, Brett, it's one thing. like We we look at Arizona, we watch them, we see the moves they've made this offseason. We're like, oh, they should be pretty good. They should be better, and obviously they have to play the games. But the numbers seem to bear out that, yeah, they should be an improved football team. Now, does the schedule help them? Maybe not. But as a football team, it certainly does seem like there's every reason to believe that they are improved over even what we saw last season. Yeah, I. it's fun to see numbers back up what you believe about that improvement. And it's less fun for the numbers to back up what you believe about the schedule muting the impact of that improvement. <laughs> like, of course, the Pac-12 in its last season has to be probably the best it's been in a while. But also, I like to backfill arguments with numbers that say that I was my opinion was correct. So, you know, I take that as a win. Absolutely. And again, like it seems like according to Justin Mackey's The Football Atlas for this season, Arizona is likely to be making a bowl game. You know, six and six and seven and five are the two most likely outcomes. But if you want to see everything else he has here for Arizona and other teams, of course, head to his website, MacAuleySports.com. Get the Atlas. It's a really good read. It's a really good look at things, and I think you will enjoy it. So, Brett, moving on from that. Well, sticking with football, though, it's time for our annual depth chart preview. We're going to start this week's show. We're going to go offense because you said it would be more fun, and you are correct, sir. It is a lot of fun. Of course, last season, the offense had a lot of, you know, had new faces. And we were kind of excited what they could do, but we didn't know what they would do. And it turns out they would do a lot of good things. So I guess we'll start at quarterback, right? Is that, that's the easy one? Yeah. Well, even before we jump in, Adam, I just want to be, I want to, I want to frame it this way. If you look at all of the offensive positions, what do you, like, what do you, think is the group that does not have uh talent or depth that gives you concern on offense this year oh i didn't freeze or anything no i just i can't think of one <laughs> I, I i wasn't sure how long you'd let me take that but i had to I say mean, something i i i'm a patient man adam <laughs> no but like it, it's kind of my point where i'm like looking at you know even along the offensive line the receiving room yeah the, quarterback room the running back room it's not just that you can see a path to success you see like really good backup options there's high-end um, talent headlining every single position group right at quarterback at running back at receiver and on the offensive line like offensive line is probably the most questionable only because there's you need more than just one or two good ones but they have more than one or two good ones and the depth is more promising so yeah no i, I agree with you like offensively i don't see really a hole like there's performance issues and they've talked about in terms of like red zone you know, can they do better in the red zone? But talent-wise, they're not lacking pretty much anywhere on the offensive side of the ball. But quarterback, let's let's start there. Jaden Delora obviously enters in as a starting quarterback. There, that was assumed. That was a given. Other than the off-field stuff, which seems to have kind of been pushed aside, if not totally moved on from. I'm super confident in Delora this season. Yeah, I. <sighs> One of the best paths to success for this team this year is 
you know, Jaden Delora spent time at the with the with Peyton and Eli Manning at their passing camp. I mean, mm-hmm. really at their camp, probably you know, not much more time with them than just the photo op that he took with it with them. Um, but I'm very curious to see in an environment where, you know, we talk about like the improvement on the offensive line where he's not under threat all the time and having to, you know, improvise. But I was even thinking, you know, if you talk about holistic football and the defense is a little better, the line's better in an environment where Jaden Delora has, you know, isn't playing from behind and he's developed me- the mental side a little bit and therefore can avoid some mistakes man that can like that combination can have a subtle but massive impact on on the the trajectory for this season because he was a pretty darn good player last year it was just very you know boomer bust um i mean well, nine of his 13 interceptions were in three games and that's what people yeah. forget people act like he was just gun- i mean he's a gunslinger he definitely tries to make plays but in terms of like his effectiveness and his making mistakes nine of his 13 interceptions were three games <laughs> just and they were obviously Mississippi State, uh, uh, Washington State, and I mean Cali had two. Like that's it. Like other games, it was like one interception, three touchdowns, four touchdowns. Like he's a really good football player, really good quarterback. And to your point, Brett, yeah, like if Arizona has a better defense and they're not in shootouts or they're not playing from behind as often. Can he limit those mistakes and be an effective game manager? And we kind of saw that against ASU last season to end it. He threw the one interception in the end zone, which I think was more of a great play by the ASU player than anything. Yeah. But he that was the only game last season he did not contribute to a single touchdown. And Arizona won. So, you know, is that the recipe for success? No. 12 of 23 for 200 yards and one interception is not the recipe for success for Arizona football. But there is a word where Jaden Delora doesn't have to throw for 400 yards in a game where he doesn't have to put the ball in the air 40 times. You know, that's ideal. If he could do it at 25 to 30 passing attempts with a strong running game and a lead, like I think you'll see, I don't know if he'll have the numbers. I mean, he threw pass for nearly 3,700 yards last season. I don't know if he gets that high, not because he's not as good, but because the offense doesn't require it. Yeah, and, you know, think through like one of, the, one of those interceptions was, I believe it was against Mississippi State where it was the most bizarre, long, scrambling, winding yeah. play that like, was like, Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! What 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 is he doing? He's so great! Oh oh no no! Oh no! That that, didn't, that that ended up being bad. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, and like, but even that, like, there you saw everything that is good and everything that is bad about Jane Delora in one play, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's got great escape ability, and his like, his biggest strength is his biggest weakness, which is he never wants to give up on a play, especially I think when he's down. And if you can like live, you know, he can learn to live like on that play, like. Do that all that escapability, great. But then, like you know, maybe instead of chucking it deep, it's like scramble all you know, run three hundred yards well, to gain two yards. Well, and right? that's and also that's like I'm... him running the foot with the football is something that has been a little bit more of a topic in the off season. That he's you know bulked up, he's a little bit faster, he's a little bit stronger, and more willing to do that. He's not a running quarterback, mind you. He's not something like he wants to pass the ball, which is one of the things I like about him. But using his legs because he can run. He's not a bad runner. So, yeah, I'm, I'm supremely confident that Delora is going to be a better quarterback this season than he was last season. It was kind of remarkable that he stayed healthy last season, especially after what happened the year before for Arizona quarterbacks. <laughs> but assuming he doesn't, because if, he, if he's healthy, he's the starter. I don't think anyone's outplaying him. Behind him, you have Noah Fafita, who comes in as a second-year guy. You have Braden Dorman, who comes in as a true freshman. You have a couple other guys, but 
like it's not. I don't feel as confident. I think Noah Fafita is a good player, and I think he's going to be a better player than he was last season. He's not on Delora's level. Now, if he had to come in and play a game, play two games, three games, could Arizona compete? I think so. I think he's good enough to keep them in games. I don't know if he's quite good enough to win them, but that's also from your backup quarterback. You just want to be in the game usually. Well, so Jaden Delora is more boom and bust, and Noah Fafita and you can take this as an insult or a compliment, I think is the better game manager, right? Maybe. I mean, we haven't seen enough of him to really know. Well, I, 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 fair, but I also think, you know, everything we know about him and what we've seen from him is he, you know, he's smart. He's, he's a heady player. He's got a surprisingly strong arm for his size. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I would feel perfectly comfortable, especially in an offense. Like maybe they lean a little harder on the run game, but oh, yeah. also maybe that maybe that opens more things up. I think you and can like, win with Fafita. I don't know if you win because of Fafita. Does that make sense? Yeah, but in the flip side of that is you can win because of Jaden Delore, and you can lose because of Jaden. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. <laughs> right. Um, the, the but in to, like. I, I, I would feel perfectly comfortable with him having to come in to finish off a game where Jaden Delore is injured or even start some games, and I don't think it materially moves the needle that much on the likelihood of the outcome. I think the variability drops. Um, and then you got Braden Dorman, a you know, four-star quarterback sitting at third, and you know I mentioned a few weeks ago, it's like, can you, can you remember how bad the quarterback room was like, just a couple of years ago? You like, know, we talk about Dorman, and obviously the hope is that he never sees the field this season. And I don't think this is one of those situations where, you know, depending on if Delora's out for a series, a half, or three games, if it's like one quarterback out of the other. Sometimes you see that, right? Where it's like, oh, if they just need to finish a game, it's the veteran. But if they need a long term, they go with the really young guy. Dorman has a lot of potential, but like so does Fafita. And yeah. we could talk about, you know, you talk about the depth in the quarterback room with like those, the top three guys. Like, I think this is Dolores last season. So is it going to be for feet and extra? It's going to be Dorman. It's going to be Demon Williams, who they got the commitment from a few weeks back. And that's where I'm interested to see what Arizona does, because obviously only one quarterback generally plays per season, like injuries, whatever. But you have one starting quarterback. That's it. And can you keep this much talent in that room year over year over a year? And I guess that's a problem for next season, right? That's not a problem for this yeah. season in terms of this depth chart. But that, to your point about just how deep the room is, how many quality quarterbacks they have in that room, like it's hard to attain. It's that's and it's hard, even harder to keep. Yeah, uh, I think even a raw Braden Dorman this year would have started for Arizona two years ago. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody who could throw a pass nearly started for Arizona two years ago. Everybody that couldn't start a throw a pass started for Arizona. What are you talking about? But it, it's a much better situation at quarterback because there is a sure thing you feel like in Delora who was really good last season and could take a very reasonably take a big step forward with a mastery of the offense, with getting stronger with his teammates and everything like that. Let's get to some of those teammates then. Let's keep with the skill. Let's go to the running back room who Delora will hopefully be handing the ball off to more. I love this group. <laughs> and I think uh, Michael Wiley is finally starting to get his due as one of the better running backs in college football. Like, he does it quietly. You know, he's not a flashy running back, but he runs the ball well. He's got good speed, not great speed. He's got good hands. He pass blocks. He can run between the tackles. Obviously, the ASU game was, I don't want to say it was coming out party because he had some good games before, but I think that kind of put people on notice. Yeah, this kid can play, 
and he's just a starter. There's plenty of talent behind him. But Michael Wiley for RB1, yeah, I'm good with that. Well, he, he just does everything well, and I think the thing that actually enables him to be extra successful, at least in terms of the stats, is I think he's both patient and has good vision with where yes. the blocks are getting set up and, like, not, you know, I think I feel like DJ Williams will be more inclined to just, like, you know, hit the hole and just run into the line, right? Who should be in better just, shape this season, too, than he was last season. Yeah, but, like, you know, there's a there's a skill to the patience of seeing the blocks. Like, I was actually watching some of the old highlights of uh, the our win over North Dakota State last year and that, that Lepke, the, the running back that torched us. Like, yeah. my God, that guy had such good patience and vision and then also just power. And I feel like Wiley has that vision and patience in, in his running. And then also he's, you know, if he was three inches taller, he'd be a, probably a starting wide receiver, like a good possession receiver, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I it's hard to look at this room and not just love it because, and you know me with depth. I mean, when Stevie Rocker is your fifth running back, and I actually really like Brandon Johnson, the freshman they brought in, but there's no chance of him seeing the field or at least getting a carry. I don't think this year. Yeah. Um, and we haven't even, you know, Jonah Coleman is a physical freak that mm-hmm. is sounds like he's even in better shape and maybe looks a little quicker speedy you know, luke look, speedy luke like i think i think wiley coleman and dj williams are going to essentially rotate a three-headed monster and then they're going to have 10 plays specifically for speedy is what I, my bet is um and maybe it's you know a little bit tilted in michael wiley's favor uh, well, but game flow i think will determine this and like Michael Wiley had a really good season last year. 771 yards rushing, had eight touchdowns on the ground, also caught 36 passes for you know a couple of scores too. I don't know if he surpasses those numbers only because of the depth behind him. Now, granted, Arizona mm-hmm. wants to run the ball more. Like I, it's kind of like conflicting ideas, right? They want to run the ball more, but will it be Michael Wiley running the ball more? Maybe Wiley is your guy, and then when you have the lead, you're trying to solve it away. DJ Williams gets the ball, right? Because you're running between the tackles. You don't need a big play. You just need to pick up some yards. Or depending on what the game situation is, maybe it's a speedy Luke, you know, speedy Luke drive, or even Jonah Coleman, who does everything. He's strong. He's fast. Like, he's a really good running back. So, yeah, like, I really like this group. It's a strong group. It's a deep group. And one of the things I like most about it is how it varies in terms of what they all bring to the table. You know, like, I mean, Wiley kind of does everything. DJ Williams is obviously the power back. Coleman is probably, I mean, he's not as good a receiver as Wiley, but he's kind of a power back too. And of course, Speedy is Speedy. So, yeah, I really like this group. I agree. I'm very excited to see what they do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So could do a lot worse than the running back room. It's the depth chart is fluid, obviously depending on the game situation, but I figure Mike Wiley will be the starting running back. If that matters much, he'll probably lead the team in carries or touches from the running back group. But in terms of their impact game to game, the exciting thing is that it could be any one of them. Like we don't talk about Jonah Coleman enough. Like, he was, no, we don't. He was quietly very good last season as a true freshman. Like, I, I think Jonah Coleman is going to get drafted in a, in a couple of years. Yeah, so that that's a great group. Um, Brett, let's move on to the receivers. Okay. Yeah, Brett, there is a lot to love about this group, and it's, you know, it's down a star from last season, and it's hard to see them missing a beat, right? Like, it might be the deepest slash most talented position group on the team. It might, it might be the deepest, most talented wide receiver room in the conference, Adam, even after losing Dorian Singer. 
I have a you know I've I've act, I've been thinking about this actually, where I feel like the casual observer sees Dorian Singer departure, and there's there's no way to say that him leaving is a good thing for Arizona. Right. right? It's better with Dorian Singer with someone of his yeah. caliber. He's a really good player. But also, if you look at the receiver room, T Mac, Jacob Cowing, uh, Montana Lamonius Craig, uh, with T Mac a year developed, and Lamonius Craig even at the starting position. I'm not sure that's not net better than last year's three starters. That's fair. And last year's three starters are obviously really good. But, yeah, Jacob Cowing, Tatarra McMillan, the two proven guys, and T-Mac coming in as a sophomore season, all the reports are that he's stronger, faster, and he just understands the game more, how to use his physicality. I believe it. <laughs> like, there's yeah. a reason he was as highly rated recruited as he was. There's a reason he was as good as a freshman as he was. Like, he is talented. And, yeah, if he's a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, maybe running slightly different routes – like, he's going to be a monster, in part because you have to focus on Jacob Cowing, who, him coming back for another season, didn't say it with Michael Wiley in the last part, but getting Cowing back for another year, huge. Right? Like, losing Singer Hurts, getting Cowing back probably means more because he's a veteran. He can play the slot. He can play the outside. He's a deep threat. He's got good hands. He can run all the routes. He can do everything for you. And then, then you had Montana Lamonius Krug, who hasn't put up big numbers, but no one put up big numbers at Colorado. So that's not him. He's a big receiver. He's got speed. Like, he's a really highly rated prospect, too. Like, for those of your top three, you're in really good shape going into the season. Yeah. To be fair, Colorado put up a lot of numbers in the loss column and incomplete passes column from their quarterback <laughs> situation. Um, yeah. So, like, you know, looking at the starting three receivers, it's it's hard to – it's hard to not be optimistic. And even Lamonius Craig, the returns are, he's going to be really good. When right? he's slightly more proven than Dorian Singer was going into last season. Like, we yeah. liked Dorian Singer because we saw what he did at the end of the season before, but he wasn't a proven player. Like, Lamonius Craig has a track record a little bit. Not again, the numbers aren't there, but that's probably more a product of where he came from than what he's capable of doing. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's right. And a better T-Mac and the return of Jacob Cowing is going to make his life easier to, you know, prove that. But I think that the thing that is the most interesting question with this room, last year, you know, Singer, T-Mac, Cowing, like everybody else got like 10 combined snaps. <laughs> and, and to some extent, rightfully so. But that didn't mean that there was not young, intriguing talent that now is another year older. Mm -hmm. You know, look at Kevin Green, look at AJ Jones, Malachi Riley, a smaller Kevin receiver, Hyatt. a bigger receiver, and Green and Jones like different skill sets, but both really highly rated prospects, talented guys. And that's not you know Devin Hyatt came in. Um, Carlos Wilson has been looking good in camp. And Malachi you know, Riley, I, you mentioned, yeah. Jackson Holman has apparently gotten some positive returns. He's a big, true freshman, like. The third string guys are, let's be real, they're not playing, but there's the depth there. I do think, you know, maybe Malachi Riley and Devin Hyatt, I think are going to surprise people. I'm I'm most curious to see how much play A.J. Jones and Kevin Green get, but also, like, to Chad Fish's comments last year, like, who are you taking off the field to get those guys on the field, right? Yeah, like, that group stayed healthy last season, remarkably. There were a couple of times, I think, Cowing against UCLA looked like he was going to be hurt, and then he came back. Dorian Singer took some shots. You know, I mean, shoot, T-Mac, I think, on his first career touchdown, took a shot over the middle and held oh, on. Yeah. But, like, they stayed remarkably healthy. I I imagine, and this is something where coming from the pros, Jed Fish, I don't know if he was also had college experience, but eventually, you, I mean, you can't run it truly like the pros because of the transfer portal. 
because of its existence, you need to get some of these guys on the field, make them realize that they are a part of your future, and so they can do what you know, show a little bit on the field. So I, I imagine there's going to be more of an emphasis on hoping to get some more guys on the field. But yeah, if Arizona's leading again, like if they're up in games and running the ball more, you're not throwing more passes to AJ Jones. Right? He may get more reps, but he's not going to get the ball and do a whole lot. I'd like to see them rotate a few more guys in, but at the same time, that's only because they deserve it. Like, I don't want it because of injury. I want it because right. you can't keep these guys off the field. That A.J. Jones or Kevin Green Jr., they bring something to the table that maybe you need. Like, in a red zone package, maybe A.J. Jones, the big receiver, gets out there. You know, when you have someone like him, you have T-Mac, you have Keon Burnett. You know, we're going to get to in the tight ends in a little bit. But that's maybe somewhere he could get some reps. But he's got to be ready for it. He's got to be able to make an impact because, yeah, if you're taking someone off the field, you got to make sure the person you're putting on the field can help you. Yeah, and... My my sense is, and the word the the words bubbling up from camp is that these guys are ready to see the field. Now, yeah. are they better than the top three? Probably not, but that speaks as much to the top three's quality. But I would I would I, I also in favor of them seeing the field. But like you said, you don't want it to be for injury. I actually want them to see the field more often to prevent injury to some of the starting three guys. Right? Like yeah. if you. You know, give them a little more time to rest. Like you're more likely to get injured when you're really tired. Um, and if you're in a you know a, a high a high play snap game or it's a bruising physical game and they need to rotate some guys in, I am super in favor of it. And I think it also has the added benefit of you know showing these young guys the the AJ Jones, Kevin Greens, you know that like hey you this you're 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 next right yeah, and yeah. and the, I, I mean I think there's a realistic chance that all three of Arizona starters end up in the NFL. It's probably a bet, you know, at least two of them are going to, right. And a pretty good chance that all three, right. And if you're, if you're, hopefully that's the messaging. It's like, yeah, you're going to be the next group of NFL draft picks. It's an an embarrassment of riches in that position, which going back to if they're, if they're leading games, if they're up by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, yes, you put some of these guys on the field. They're not going to get a lot of passes thrown their way. So it's like, if everything is going the way Arizona wants it to this season, a lot of these receivers aren't going to get looks like they're not going to have the reception numbers. They're not going to have the yardage numbers, maybe the touchdown numbers, but will they have opportunity for some of these guys to get on the field when you don't need Jacob Cowling out there, when he can kind of, you know, sit for a quarter. You know, you're not trying to come back in a game. You don't need to put a game away. You're just comfortably ahead. Cool. Hopefully. But it's just game flow is going to dictate so much and less injury. And you can never count on injuries, but you can never count them out either. It is football. But, yeah, I feel really good about this position group because of the starters, and I am excited about the depth that they have. Like, I would like to see A.J. Jones out there. I'd like to see Kevin Green Jr. out there. Like, we saw them in the spring game. You know, they, they can play a little bit. Like they have skill. Malachi Riley had a big touchdown catch in that game, if I remember right. Like there is talent in that room, lots of talent. Like you said, possibly the most talent of any room in the conference, maybe Pac-12 or Big 12, actually. You know, either conference at Arizona has a link to. Will it be able to show itself on a game-to-game basis? Hopefully not. Hopefully they won't be throwing the ball 35, 40 times game-to-game. Like that's how you sustain what they did last season with the Big Three, is because they were throwing the football a lot. Hopefully they're not throwing the ball as much. But when they do throw it, I expect it to be terribly impactful. Like, just ridiculous. Like, they have such good talent in that room. Guys who can make plays, who, within this offense, can make plays. Yeah, it's... I, I'm really going to... Uh, the the 
NAU and UTEP games, I think, are going to be really interesting to see because, to your point, hopefully they're rotating more guys in, especially in those games when it's still, like, you know, not just hand the ball off for the last 10 plays because, yeah. you know, also, hopefully in some of these, you know, hopefully in week two, Arizona's just running the ball 20 times in the fourth quarter against Mississippi State because they're already up 20 points on the road in SEC country. That would be nice. Uh, is that is that realistic? Probably not, but also then if you're trying to win in, on the road in SEC country, you're probably not rotating the depth guys in. You're you're leaving your superstars out there and say, win me this game, right? Yeah. Um, so I think those two games are going to be really interesting to see, and I'm really interested to see how they perform because they, they haven't gotten that much of an opportunity to show it, uh, but I'm also like not even that cautiously optimistic. I'm just straight up optimistic that a lot of those guys are going to produce if given the opportunity. Yeah. Speaking of being given an opportunity and producing, it's one of the tight ends. And Tanner McLaughlin headlines that group. We go into last season, Keon Burnett, four-star recruit. He's like, the hype is around him. And Tanner McLaughlin, little-known transfer, you know, from FCS, coming back from knee injuries. And all of a sudden, he turns into, like, the best tight end they've had since Rob Gronkowski. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. You know, people tend – you know how much I love the narrative games. Uh, but, like, people look at a, a poor – football program that's that's developing and a new coach and people just so like oh there's nobody on that roster and everybody thinks that they can identify talent and like you know everybody thinks that that in august that there's some you know gems that are uncovered the thing is in the in the realm of in the narrative shift tanner mclaughlin exhibit a of jet fish and staff being able to identify and utilize and develop talent right yeah like yeah a year ago, everybody would be like, all right, this guy's on the roster. And now it's like, all right, where is he getting drafted? <laughs> right? And, like, that's insanity, um, first first and foremost. And when Keon Burnett is like, oh, he's clearly the number two option. He was probably too green to be on the field last year. You know, I think Alex Lyons transferred out. He probably wouldn't have. He may have redshirted last year otherwise, yeah. right? Um I think Alex Lyons was probably like this Tanner McLaughlin guy is not a competition. And Alex Lyons wasn't a bad player. No. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you look at this room and you say, Oh, like Tanner McLaughlin's a really good all around just football player. Keon Burnett is a, you know, if he, has, if he physically develops and reaches his potential, he is going to be a problem and mm-hmm. also going to be the solution to your red zone problems. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I have to do a special call out for the the man that was referenced as in the running joke of the Arizona three star, Tyler Powell, who I will consistently troll a certain uh, commentator every time Tyler Powell does something well for the rest of his career. Um, and it sounds like he's looked pretty good in camp. And that's a big target. Really big target. He's six, six, seven, you know, like uh, and, and they added Dorian Thomas from from uh, the state of Oregon that was, you know, kind of, he's a, certainly an intriguing athlete that I, I saw Jacob Pau, or uh, uh, Pau Pau talk, Jordan Pau Pau talking about how he's actually looked really advanced for a true freshman, right? And and Roberto Miranda is a guy that was just, you know, a, a Euro player that was like, well, he's a, you know, big body, maybe he's athletic, we don't know. Yeah. You know, I think I think he's going to see the field probably more as a blocking guy, but once again, the, the, the theme here is both talent and depth. And, and it ge- makes me happy. Generally, at like this position, say you have injuries there, you run an offense with maybe an extra receiver. 
on the field, right? If you go, you don't go too far into the dip just to have a tight end on the field. But also, Jed Fish's offense likes to use a tight end sometimes too. So it's probably like that pro style that they're always touting. A tight end can, like McLaughlin showed it, you can get the ball. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like they have a quarterback who likes to push the ball downfield, and Tanner McLaughlin had 34 passes last, caught 34 passes, and was one of their better receiving options. So I think that's equally important, just knowing that. You know, you can come here, and if you're good enough, you're going to get on the field, and if you're on the field, you're going to get the ball at the tight end position. But, yeah, like between McLaughlin and Burnett, you have one proven star at the position, and then you have a potential star in Burnett who obviously has the – like he has the track record. He has the pedigree. He just hasn't done it yet because Arizona didn't need him to do it last season. But reports that he came back, you know, stronger, a little bit more refined, which, shocker. You know, from his freshman to sophomore year, he's a better player. He's improved. Like, that's huge for this team because if they can have two tight ends out there who are good, that's a, de- that's a type of offense that not a lot of teams probably run. And, then like, two tight ends who can catch the ball and also block. Like, you don't know who's doing what individual play. In the red zone, they should be better. Like, and then, yeah, if they get farther into the depth, I don't imagine they will. But if they do, there's at least potential there. I would not be surprised if both Roberto Miranda and Tyler Powell see the field, uh, if not like regularly, like I, I, I don't think that they're, you know, I don't, I don't know if Tyler Powell is actually going to redshirt. Like he might yeah. actually see the field enough, especially if there's any injuries. Uh, Cause I think he's like the most balanced of the depth guys. I think Miranda's more the blocking guy. So I think he's going to see the field in that regard. Also, you could go three tight end with McLaughlin, Burnett and Miranda and like, have two of three be very legit uh, pass catching targets, and then you know the third one's a you know known for blocking. That's not the worst thing to have in the world. No. Uh, um, yeah, it's and and you know to tie it back to the conversation with Jaden Delora developing and improving. You know, remember Jaden Delora transferred to Arizona in an offense that didn't even really nominally have a tight end, and he was learning to throw to a tight end yeah. last year, right? And like. As, as he is understanding that in the offense and making hopefully better decisions, that tight end release valve is going to be there a lot, and there's going to be a lot of mismatches, and there's enough talent there to make it not just a release valve, but to be a true weapon. Yeah, yeah. Now, all this skill position talent that Arizona has, and it's a lot, doesn't work if the offensive line isn't any good. Fortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case in Arizona. We don't know if the offensive line is going to be great, but it shouldn't be bad. You bring back Jordan Morgan coming off the ACL injury. He's probably a first-round draft pick last season if he doesn't get hurt. Getting him back if he's close to what he was by the time the season opener, you're set at left tackle. Like, he was great. A left guard, Wendell Moe, I think is a projected starter there. Played a little bit more la- towards the end of last season. Big body. Got in shape, and he was solid. Josh Baker got over his snapping issues, it looked the like. Yips. Those the yips. And was a solid center, right? You don't really think of the center too often unless they're making a mistake. And the right side of the line is where it gets interesting because Big Jonah was the right guard last season and looked awesome as a true freshman. Great player, NFL future, all that stuff. Looks like he's going to move to right tackle. So that opens up a spot, and I think it's Raymond Polito, the freshman, who's starting to get some run at the right guard. So you mentioned it to Justin McAleese, too, and I talked to him. He's another big body. Like, this offensive line figures to be gigantic. Yeah, Raymond Polito doing his best Jonah Savinea uh, impersonation. This Someone's been the... practicing his pronunciations. <laughs> oh, thanks for noticing. Um, <laughs> Raymond was the hardest one to pronounce. <laughs> um, no, like, but like, you know, Jonah, Big Jonah came in and was in the spring. It's it's way more impressive that Polito is coming in 
not having been here in the spring and is immediately like it's it sounds pretty clear that he is going to start at right guard yeah. and you know if arizona can have this whole thing of get really talented massive guys and start them at right guard and then have them take over at tackle <laughs> for the guy that was the guard before that moved out to tackle and then moves to the nfl it's a really good plan <laughs> it's interesting um, because like you obviously like with jonah big jonah you offensive line they always talk about consistency just like continuity well, you're moving him. Now, this is college, and it's not the same season as last season. So, like, we're not moving him within a season. But that that seems like you have a great right guard, and you're moving him to right tackles because he's an even better right tackle or just as great a right tackle. Like, if your best offensive line is putting Polito at right guard and Big Jonah at right tackle, that says a lot about, one, your faith in Polito, and two, Big Jonah's ability. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I, I get the sense, and, like, you see interviews of Big Jonah, and he's like, Oh man, it's like new to me, but like you see, you know, you hear these stories of like scouts and coaches talking. It's like I don't even think Jonah realizes his how good he is yeah. as a lineman, kind of thing, right? That's how he ends um, up at Arizona. Well, hey, our <laughs> our our trajectory has changed, sir. It has. Um, it has. And you know that kind of, the offensive line is a big reason for that trajectory changing. And you know, I'm not gonna lie, I was skeptical with. I thought the Brennan Carroll hire was like, I'm not sure he's going to be a good coach and like the highest paid coach with like the OC title. And I was skeptical. I give the man his due. He not only has he de- like, he has developed talent. He has identified talent between, you know, Jonah Polito. Wendell Moe was like one of the lowest rated yeah. recruits. And he's starting as a freshman last year. And like, you know, he wasn't like all Pac-12, but if you're a competent lineman starting as a freshman, there's a, there's a number of things that have gone right from talent identification, development, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's I think Jed Fish was, you know, in one of the press conferences, just flat out said the offensive line is a strength and that's not been a thing you hear in Tucson or, <laughs> you know, or something like that, which is like, I I, I honestly cannot remember the last time I felt as confident in an Arizona offensive line, which makes me feel better about, you know, keeping Jaden Delora, everything like, else, it, you know, it, it solves a lot of problems. Cause like, also if you can, if you can, the, di- the difference between getting, you know, four yards or five yards on first down and three or fewer on first down runs is such a massive thing at scale. And also know? in the red zone, be able to run the ball from the oh, five-yard line. You know, 100%. when you can't rely on your big receivers to make plays down the field because there is no down the field. Of course, the starters we mentioned, when you have someone like Sam Lange as a backup who could probably start, he played some less. Like they have, they're returning basically four starters from the end of last season, you know, three at the same spots that they played. I guess if you consider Jordan Morgan a starter at the end of last season, but four starters, that's experience along that offensive line. Sam Lange, who can play a bunch of different positions on that line, who was originally probably penciled in to be with a starting right guard. Now he comes with your swing lineman, a veteran who can play tackle, can play guard. You have Rhino as, you know, coming in as a freshman. You have Joe Borjon, big sophomore, JT Hand, Jacob Reese, guys who some of them played a little bit last season, but most are pretty highly thought of prospects along the offensive line. And with Brennan Carroll's ability to develop that talent, you feel pretty good about, I mean, you feel really good about the starting line. 
and you probably feel okay enough about anyone who has to get plugged in. Because I remember last season when Jordan Morgan got hurt, and I think Sam Lange came in at left tackle, and Arizona's offense was pretty good still. Now, that's not to say anything about Jordan Morgan, but they were able to coach and or scheme their way toward not having Jordan Morgan's loss just cripple the offense, because it could have. Well, I think I think Sam Lange's value is the versatility in that he's just capable. Yep. He's, not, he's not going to be a star at any position, but he is that, you know, monkey wrench that you can throw in and it, 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 you know you can fit a every lot of team wants one of those guys every team wants that swing lineman who they can oh, count yeah. on at pretty much any position when there's an injury in a game we just need to plug someone as a plug-and-play lineman well and guess what if he was a clear star starter at any of those positions and arizona was trying to make him a swing lineman he would have gotten paid in nil to transfer <laughs> somewhere else like let's be real um and and you know, you mentioned Rhino, Elijah Payne, Tylen Gonzalez is a guy that's, you know, a, a, a low-rated guy with no visibility, but, like, everybody kind of is curious to see how he develops because he, he looks athletic and he's got a ton of size. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my if I'm going to if I'm gonna quibble here, I get a little anxious if Josh Baker gets hurt because I'm not sure about, you know, I think, I think they basically moved JT Hand to, to the guard spot. I, I don't know if he would slide over at center. Like, you know, Sam Lange solves any of the four other spots. He's the first guy yeah. off the, you know, first guy off the bench. But if, if, if Grayson Baker, Stovall would get the looks at backup center. You know, I, like, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. We haven't got any reports I'm, of who the backup center is. He's getting run with a two at center, I don't think. That hasn't you know, come out of camp. Yeah, I you know, I think JT Hand might not be listed as the backup center on the depth chart, but I might, I might put money that it's him because I know he was kind of came in as a center. Um, and I'm just not sure where Soval is in his development. Um, that's that's the one thing that gives me a little bit of concern. Uh, and you and you know, but also to to credit Josh Baker, and you talked about the continuity and some of the guys switching positions. You know, the center is the one that makes a lot of the calls for the blocking schemes, and so like the continuity there, even if he's, continuity, or, kind of okay. I gave sorry. you a one, man. Continuity. That's yeah, fair. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've maybe had a beverage. <laughs> um, no, but like, even he might be the least physically talented starter on the O line, but that experience and consistency along the line, <laughs> um, you know that that's actually don't underestimate that right when no. that the guy making the calls there and you, you know, it's, I mean, shoot, you, you might look at the starting O line. There's probably three of the, at least three of those five starters are going to get drafted at some point when they're draft eligible. Oh, like even, Jordan Morgan's a, a shoe in Jonah is a shoe in Polito is looking like he's on that path. And Wendell Mo might though about that continuity. Yeah. <laughs> I think about that is like, if you were reading the word, that would be understandable. This is that's the word that came to your mind was the pronunciation, which was just so <laughs> wrong. But Baker has an experience with Jaden Delora, right? Like he had to get comfortable with his quarterback. Some of those snaps, like Arizona runs some stuff from under center, which you know you have to learn, you have to understand the cadence, you have to understand just the way that feel is, and for the shotgun snaps. And Baker struggled with that early on. Like he was bad. You know, not that he was making every snap poor, but like if you have one or two bad snaps a game under the shotgun, that's awful. I think it was the North Dakota State game. It was one that went over like Delora's head and they lost some yardage. Like you just can't do that. Well, by the end of the season, that wasn't an issue. 
So he improved. Yeah. He got there. So having having him back after he saw so much made those calls like you talked about, leading an offensive line for one of the best offenses in the country, he's only going to be that much better this season. So, yeah, like I, I would be worried if he got hurt just because I don't know who the backup center is and whoever it is doesn't have the experience making those calls, doesn't have the experience working with the guys around him. But even then, he's going to have a different right guard next to him now. He's going to have from last season. So, yes. Good depth at that position, like along the offensive line, but specific to that position, they probably don't have. Hopefully they don't need it. Yeah, but I don't even think we mentioned uh, Leif Magnuson. Yeah. That Canadian mountain of a man. One of the Uh, best names on the team. Yeah, and it, you know, I think we all rooted for him because of his name and being this this guy named Leif Magnuson from Canada, like, yeah, we want you to be successful, sir, for like six different reasons. Um, like, you know, it sounds like he's developed. You know, I think he's a redshirt sophomore now, if I'm if mm-hmm. I'm uh, not mistaken. Um, you know, there's there's honest to god depth on the line. There's honest to god talent along the line, and boy, you really set up all of that skill position for success. Uh, you know from Jaden Delora not being under pressure to having a really, you know, effective, you know, an effective running game cures a lot of ills. Opening right? up holes, especially in the red zone, <laughs> could go a long way towards making this offense, which was good. Like, we talked to Rob Barron. He's big on, like, Arizona made a lot of big plays, but, oh, did they struggle at some basic offensive things. And, like, their red zone failures were well-documented last season. And if you just turn a couple more of those field goals into touchdowns, your game's different. You know, I think of the yeah. ASU game where they got an early field goal after I think the muffed punt. So if you're up fourteen nothing, and I know they didn't get to the red zone there, but if you're up fourteen nothing as opposed to ten nothing, I'm not saying the game doesn't go crazy like it did, but that's a different setup. You yeah. know, and it's just being able to impose your will in an area of the field where it's harder to. Like it absolutely is harder to score in the red zone because if you're a passing team, your receivers don't have a lot of room. Like people are crowded, so you got to be able to block. You got to be able to open up those holes, and that's on the offensive line to do it. And yeah, I, I think one thing, Brett, you mentioned with Brennan Carroll, too. I'm more confident in the depth on this group just because I've seen the development of other guys over the last couple of seasons. You know, but the fact that Jordan Morgan has improved the way he has. He always had the talent, but he was never a first-round draft pick left tackle. You know, Josh Baker was a fine offensive lineman, but now he's a starting center. You know, Jonah, the way he came in, and yes, he came in a good player, but how he improved through the course of the season and now is going to right tackle – I believe in this coaching staff's ability to develop these guys. And maybe the backup guys aren't going to be stars, but they could be useful players, especially in the case of an injury or something like that. Yeah, the, it's, you know, if in the last year Arizona was a, you know, New Year's Six bowl team between the 20s and then a, uh, you know, borderline power five team at best yeah. in the in the red zone, you know, if they can, if they can, close out some more drives and you know it helps when you have literally a ton of offensive linemen mm-hmm. that are opening giant holes for your very talented running back room oh and by the way you have some tall tight end targets where if you want to you know go that route and keep yeah. people honest now this offense you can tell was built with purpose like going through this you mentioned like jed fish when he took over the offense was terrible right it was not good now you look at it and it like we talked about before, there's not really any holes. There's not really anything you feel nervous about or your position group that you feel like can hold this team back. Like, offensive line is the one that could, and there's no reason to think that it's going to be a weakness. I mean, it may very well be a strength. That just shows what Jed Fish and his staff have done when since they took over in building this team to, like, 
in an era of NIL, in an era of the transfer portal, still being able to recruit high schoolers, they built an offense that looks loaded, that looks like it's a bowl team. It's a bowl team's offense, if not a high-level bowl team's offense. And that's where they're really? the refinement in the red zone. You know, if they can just, you know, smooth out some of those rough edges where they've had them and, and another year in this system for a lot of these players with that confidence, with maybe opening up the playbook slightly more, I think they can. And I'm excited to see if they do it because even then, like, that could take a lot of pressure off the defense, which we will talk about next week, by the way. We did the offense this week. We'll talk about the defense next week. But, yeah, like, this group, they, they should have no trouble scoring points. Like, they have everything you need. Yeah, it's. I think it's going to be a fun season offensively, and not necessarily in terms of big plays, but I enjoy a six six and a half yard gain on a run on first down. Yes, <laughs> or, or a six and a half yard gain on first and goal from six and a half. <laughs> yes, th- those are always nice. Brett, I think that does it for this week. Again, we'll talk about the defensive side of the ball next week because that's probably that's probably the less fun, but maybe even more intriguing. Because there's a lot to look at and a lot of change there. Kind of like it's like last year's offense, where it's like, okay, they did some things. There's a lot of new faces, and we'll tell you what we think of them. But thanks again to Justin McAleese for joining us, giving us his insight, McAleeseSports.com. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at Wildcat, not Twitter, it's X. You can find us on that social media platform at Wildcat Radio AZ. Um, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify. If you're on iTunes, leave us a rating and review. We will read that review on the air. And Brett, you said we have a review. We do. Uh, two weeks in a row. I love it. Uh, it is from 45, 40 spelled out, numeral 5. Uh, the, the title is Outstanding Podcast, so I like where this I is say, going. I, I like this so far. This uh, is good. Five-star rating. Uh, 45 says, I really look forward to your podcasts. Thanks for all you guys do. Exclamation point. All right. You're welcome, 45. You you are very welcome, and you know, I, I I appreciate when somebody says all we do when uh, we're not known for show prep. Just so say, imagine really if we the... show prepped how much better, <laughs> how much praise we would get. <laughs> like we're really we're really putting in the minimal effort here. <laughs> yeah, well, we appreciate forty five and off course game. We appreciate all you who are listening, and yeah. Whatever happens next week, again, like on, and on the social media, on X, if you ever have any questions, we don't always do mailbags, but shoot us a question there at Wildcat Radio AZ just if you want us to touch on something if you're curious. But, yeah, thank you for listening. We'll catch you all next week. And until then, remember to bear down. Bear down. <laughs>